The last class of my old professor's life took place once a week in his house by a window in the study where he could watch a small hibiscus plant shed its pink leaves. The class met on Tuesdays. It began after breakfast. The subject was the meaning of life. It was taught from experience. No books were required, yet many topics were covered, including love, work, community, family, aging, forgiveness, and finally, death. The last lecture was brief, only a few words. A funeral was held in lieu of graduation. The last class of my old professor's life had only one student. I was the student. And I welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I am Mitch Album, your host, the author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is inspired. The lessons learned from a dying old man sharing his last Tuesdays with a younger man are particularly apropos to the time that we find ourselves in here now, the time of coronavirus and the way that it is changing our world. It's changing our podcasts. It has uh, deviated the subject matter from things that we had carefully plotted out to adjusting on the fly to the way the world is changing. Lisa Goich, as always, my friend and producer, is alongside. Lisa, it's a strange time we're in here now, isn't it? Oh, boy, oh, boy, Mitch, is it? Well, one of the things that we're trying to uh, help people with are some of the topics that kind of lay over Maury Schwartz's experience when he was going through his battle with ALS. Obviously, ALS is a much different disease. It's an almost certain death sentence of eventually. It's a much slower than a coronavirus, and uh, the re- there's really no recovery uh, like fortunately there is with uh, the overwhelming majority of cases with coronavirus. But some of the things that are parallel that we're noticing are the uh, method in which people are having to deal with dying. Now, in Maury's case, he knew that the dying was likely inevitable at his age, at 78, and where he was in the development of the disease. Remember, this was back 20-some-odd years, so they didn't have some of the things that they have now. He knew that he was dying. He knew that his time was limited, and he knew that he had X amount of time to prepare But in that preparation time, he used all of his time to make peace with the people in his life, to tell them how much he cared about them and loved them, to hold them and share some memories, to even hold, at one point, a living funeral, which we've talked about a couple times in the past on our podcast. This living funeral for Maury was an opportunity for him to have everybody who he loved in his life and who loved him to come and celebrate him but not after he was already gone, while he was still here. And so they gathered in his house in a big circle, and people stood up and did what they frequently do at funerals. They delivered eulogies, quote-unquote, and funny stories, some read poems, and some showed pictures. And the only difference was at the end of this particular living funeral, uh, the quote-unquote deceased, for want of a better word, or to be deceased, stood up and was able to thank all of the people in the room for all the kind things that they had said and all the years that they had had together. Unfortunately, with COVID-19, we're seeing a whole different take on this. In fact, we're seeing sort of the opposite. Instead of being able to gather with your loved ones, to hold hands, to share 
final moments of intimacy and laughing and caring and hugging and kissing, exactly the opposite is happening. People who perhaps didn't know that their mortality was so imminent suddenly find themselves hit with a case of COVID-19, perhaps because of their age or underlying health circumstances. It becomes very serious and they do not have the opportunity to gather. They do not have the opportunity to share time with loved ones. In point of fact, many people now are being forced to face dying alone. And even after they have died, the families get no relief in that, in that they cannot gather for funerals for fear of further infection and further spread of the disease. So we asked a guest to come on with us today to talk about what's happening in this way. Nora Menken is our guest. She is the executive director of the People's Memorial Association and the Co-op Funeral Home out of Seattle, Washington, where you recall this is where the state of Washington was the first coronavirus case. And I think 37 of the first 50 deaths or something like that uh, took place in Seattle or in Washington. And so they have had to deal with this for a while. Nora, welcome to Tuesday People Podcast. Thank you for coming on with us. Thanks for having me, Mitch. So give us an idea of some of the adjustments that the funeral business uh, has had to make in just these past four, five, six weeks. Yeah, it's really been kind of a wild ride trying to adjust to the latest reports and recommendations. Washington State as a whole has been... Um, changing and pivoting how they're handling things, sometimes day by day, but at least week by week. Mm. Um, uh, Two weeks ago, we were actually given the clarification that all gatherings were now to be postponed and avoided, including any funeral or memorial service gatherings. Um, that lasted about a week and understandably had some pushback, especially from some you know religious and cultural communities that require people to gather. Um, and then just this last weekend, they loosened the rules a little bit to say that immediate family can hold memorial services or funeral services as long as they can attain that social distancing of six feet that everyone's recommending right now. So we're we're adjusting as we go, but in general, still making sure that the living is given priority, whether it's to shield them from contact with other folks for the virus or to give them what they need to say their goodbyes and have whatever ritual and ceremony they need to have right now. Well, in walking through the process of uh, one's death and then the arrangements for a funeral, even that process, I would imagine, has to have changed because let's take a simple example of someone who dies in a hospital, you know, on a ventilator, perhaps. Normally what happens is, you know, the the certain funeral homes or people in that business are called to come gather the body. Same thing happens if somebody happens and dies at home. I imagine right from that point, there have to be precautions taken, right? Because if you're going, especially if you're going to a hospital, if you're going to a home where people, uh, where, where someone, at least uh, one person, ha- clearly had this disease, there's the issue of protecting the workers, the people who collect the body, right? Yeah, definitely. And that we changed very early on because of the lack of testing and knowing it was in our area. We really didn't know if 
um, either the deceased or the families had been exposed to the virus. And so we were taking different precautions than we normally do. Um, normally, especially if family is present, when we pick someone up, we don't cover the deceased's face. Um, it, that can be a very hard thing for families to see. And it's a very final moment that we try to avoid. But now with the current virus and not knowing if people have had it or were exposed to it or not, we are having to explain to families that we do have to keep the face covered before we can um, maneuver or move a deceased person. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. Is there any concern that the coronavirus can be transferred or or transmitted from a deceased body? There's very little concern of that. In general, um, the living are much more dangerous than the dead, especially Mm -hmm. with this virus, which is spread by water droplets and breathing, which is are things that um, deceased people don't normally do. The risk is that with maneuvering a deceased body, air might be expelled from the lungs and therefore some of those water droplets might still come out. Um, So we just need to cover the nose and mouth to make sure that we reduce the risk to the people around it. Right. And then when the body is is taken to the funeral home as it would normally be prepared or all the rest, what is really suffering uh, during this is, is the traditions, the traditions of gathering for a wake the traditions of gathering yeah. for uh, a service before uh, you go out to the actual cemetery, the traditions of even gathering at the cemetery, the, the uh, uh, way that people hold hands for comfort with one another yeah. uh, at that. The, the, I mean, think of a normal funeral scene. It's hugging, it's kissing, it's crying, it's, it's, uh, it's all kinds of closeness, which is what offers comfort. Talk to me about how, how, how difficult that is for both the families and you in the industry who encourage that to suddenly have to try to remind people that they can't do that or even if they do gather that they have to stay a great distance from each other. Yeah, it's really, really hard. We were, we're such um, tactile beings. We right. give comfort and even, you know, the good feel good hormones get released with contact, with hugs, with presence and we just can't do that right now. So it's it's really, really hard. Um, we've been trying to come up with different ways of may- being able to convey that without being present, but it's really hard. I watched actually a really good video this morning for a woman who was talking about mementos you can create and still have that tactile feeling, whether it's tracing your own hand to be able to send someone who's in mourning so that they know that you you're reaching out to touch them, whether you can take a, a handprint of the deceased to be able to hold on to, to have a physical representation of them when you can't be with them. Something that's also especially hard right now is if people are dying in hospitals, families aren't allowed to come and go from the hospitals to reduce the spread of this infection. So we have so many families whose loved one is in the hospital and they're only called in 
at the very last moment when death is occurring to be able to be there if they can even get there in time. That is a recurring story that is just heartbreaking to me right now. It really, it truly is. Uh, But we are an innovative race and uh, we find ways to adjust to things. What are some of the ways, for example, I remember writing a a column years ago. uh, It was more in in kind of uh, uh, not an admiring way. It was more uh, probably a little more critical uh, of of these sort of virtual funerals that people were, you know, setting up with cameras at the funeral parlor or at the church, and that people could watch from home and express their condolences. Now, at the time when I was writing about it, it was more because people were using it as an excuse to not have to go and not have to get dressed up and, and just sort of sit at home and watch and write oh, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, and not really be involved. Now, of course, the world has flipped on its ear, and we find ourselves where that may be the only way. Are there people doing things in the digital space to try to allow people to participate in a certain way in, a, in, a, in a, almost a virtual funeral where with what we have now with Zoom and things like that, where you can get multiple people to be in a conversation at the same time, that they could start applying that to funeral services. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk about this and a lot of letting people know that it's an option. This is also new. Like, it's it's hard to remember, like, this this whole crisis is barely a month old. We haven't had a whole lot of time to pivot and kind of change how we think this time should go. And I think there's still a hope that this will be loosened up in the coming weeks or months. And so we have most of the families that we're working with are deciding to delay or just press pause at the moment to see what happens. And the idea of a virtual funeral or memorial is out there. But at the same time, those services are about being together. And especially if you're not used to the technology and you haven't been using it, it doesn't necessarily bring the idea of comfort that normally these services are known for. So we've had a few people consider it. We have yet to have anyone take us up on it, but we do have the ability to do you know, a Zoom memorial or a FaceTime ceremony or something like that. But for the most part, at least at our funeral home, people are just waiting because they mm. want to be able to wait and have that time where they can actually be present with people. So in those cases of waiting, we most recently heard that you know, a, a modest estimate could be 100,000 to 200,000. Uh, bad case scenarios, you're approaching a million uh, here in the United States. Would something like that, if people delayed burials, overtax the system that we have? Uh, I mean, there's a finite number of spaces, I would imagine, that a funeral home can can use to hold bodies or morgues or mortuaries or things like that. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if that's yet another thing we're going to run short of. Is it, has the industry spoken about that? It's not a huge risk at the moment. I mean, that it, while those are terrible numbers that you're talking about, that is spread across the whole of the United States, and there is a lot of space to be had here. Mm-hmm. And when I say people are delaying services, they're they're all moving forward with either doing the cremation or the burial. They're just delaying having the gathering of people. So mm-hmm. we're not having a whole lot of people just waiting with their loved one in cold storage until this happens. Most people are at least moving forward with that part of it, but they're waiting to have the the gathering, the time together 
at this point. Right. Um, well, that being well, said, in some of the more urban areas like New York, that, that just because there's so many people and there's so many cases, that might end up putting a strain on the funeral industry system at this point. Let's talk about the human part of this for a moment here. What does it do to the grieving process? You clearly, in your position as a uh, executive director of the People's Memorial Association and Co-op Funeral Home there in Seattle, you clearly have many years of experience with the process of grieving and and the um, small catharsis that a funeral, a burial, a gathering, um, sitting shiva, uh, whatever the case may be and whatever your particular religion may be, what that does to someone's ability to begin to heal. When you can't have that, when it's delayed, when you still are waiting to bury or say goodbye formally or with, with other loved ones to the loved one that you lost, what does that do to people? Yeah, and well, I do say I have a lot of experience being around people in grief. I am not a grief therapist. Um, I've definitely been through my own grief. And if anything, I know that everyone grieves differently, but the universal thing is we all grieve. And for the most part, people want to be together. We're social beings, but there are some people that prefer to go through this process alone. But not having a kind of conventional or traditional gathering or ceremony can certainly be a detriment if that's what you expect and what you feel would give you comfort. What I encourage people to do right now is continue to reach out to people who have experienced loss, not just during this time, but especially people who may have lost someone in the last few months or in the last year. Being isolated compounds those feelings of loss and reinstituting the art of the phone call or reaching out and doing those FaceTimes, having at least one-on-one interactions with people you love and care for will be hugely helpful at this time when we can't gather in a large group and be physically present with each other. Particularly with older people in your family. You know, they may be safe where they are, but uh, this this awful disease is finding a way to permeate places where, you know, you didn't think it would. And until we really get a handle on how it spreads— uh, it's insidious in the way that it does do that. So to just make sure that if there are older people in your life that you have, for whatever reason, lost track of or haven't called or just been a while, this would be a good time to do that. First of all, that's just good advice in general. Uh, in general, but, yeah, yeah. In general, but, but heaven forbid they then end up contracting the disease and go into a situation where they can't be reached because, uh, you know, when you're in intensive care units and you're on ventilators or things like that, there's no communication anymore, then uh, you're going to regret not having done it. Lisa, you wanted to add something here. Yeah, my father is in one of those um, places right now. He's in a assisted living facility and he's completely isolated. And just this week, he's in Michigan. They are making it unable for them to even walk downstairs to the mailroom which is always my dad's big thing to do every day. So they're stuck in the rooms every single day. I have people sending him cards. We're calling him often. And I think that's just a really good way, if you have older people in your life, to really stay in touch with them, to let them know that they are not completely isolated from the world, especially those who aren't on social media or anything like that. 
Yeah, use the mail system. I mean, this is a very good piece of advice. I know it's, it sounds archaic to some of our younger listeners, but uh, when you can't have human contact uh, and nobody's coming to see you, the arrival of a card, a photograph, uh, a letter can be the tactile substitute that you referred to, Nora, as, as being part of our daily life. And there are a lot of older people who are not adept at computers or don't know quite how to open the, uh, the the photos program on their iPhone and without somebody to show them, which is what they would traditionally do. You call in the young, you know, the young medic or whoever it is and, oh, they'll take care of it. Now, all of a sudden, they're not coming into those rooms. Mm-mm. They don't have that opportunity. Yeah, that's true. I gave my dad a tablet once hoping that he would be able to like, I put all the buttons on it and said, you just touch this, you get your email, you touch. He couldn't yeah. even figure that out. Yeah. So that's no longer an option, but he loves his cards and people have been dropping off off baskets of food and fruit and that sort of thing for them. So that's also an option for people who are in this situation. And my dad's 98. So every day in this place, he's faced with people dying, you know, so it's even more isolation. It's, you know, just take care of our elderly. Yeah. What other suggestions do you have for people who are, who are dealing with this, uh, Nora, who are find themselves in, uh, either on the precipice of perhaps losing a loved one. And by, by the way, it's not always old people uh, or yeah. have lost, have lost a, a loved one uh, and are trying to deal with the, you know, what do I do now? How long do I wait? How do I deal with the situation? What are some of the other suggestions you can make that you've observed? Well, I mean, you say, how long do I wait? And that's kind of where we are right now. I and mean, at least here in Washington, we're we're self-isolating. We're at home. We're under quarantine. We're, the the phrase is "stay home, stay healthy," and part of that is your mental health. So if you find yourself thinking of someone or someone's on your mind, whether or not they're ill or not, go ahead and reach out. Send that email. Send a text message. Send give them a call. Just say, "I'm thinking of you." And rather than waiting until it's a point of you might not have that chance again. We've got more time on our hands and we are more isolated than ever at the moment and make sure to reach out to those that you care about. I've had a couple myself that have been like, oh, well, this person's on my mind, but I haven't connected with them in months. Usually I would run into them on a more regular basis, but we're not doing that right now. Mm. So I send a quick text message and it makes me feel better, like, because we all know where each other are at the moment. We're all at home. (laughs) Yeah. How is the funeral uh, industry itself, funeral home employees and others, has that been noticeably affected because of their their contact with the public? Or what happens when someone gets sick in, in, in a funeral home? Yeah, so we've been dealing with this over the last month as well. We started um, saying that we would only make our arrangements over the phone and email um, a few weeks ago to minimize our contact with the public. And if any of our employees had any kind of illness or symptoms, they were staying home. Um, We're fortunate that we were already set up to handle everything this way. We've had um, everything digital, all of our paperwork. We can do e-signatures. We've had that for quite a while. But there are some funeral homes that still do everything on paper and sit down with families to get signatures. And they've had to make some big adjustments We've also encouraged folks that if they want to wait to pick up urns after a cremation, we're perfectly fine storing those until things get safer. But if people want to pick them up, we have changed how we release them to minimize contact with each other. Right. And of course, the whole uh, 
church, synagogue, other religious institutions, which are usually, you know, hand in hand with funeral parlors and where the services are held and chapels and things like that are are also all closed down uh, with yeah. very, very rare exceptions. So that whole connection has been lost, too. Yeah. And I've been having conversations. I belong to a reform synagogue here in West Seattle, and we were having conversations about how to hold virtual minions so that people could say Kaddish and how we can best provide food and comfort to those in our community that need that. Right. The rituals that go with uh, dying, and you just mentioned one, uh, saying the Yisker prayer, uh, Kaddish, uh, for uh, those in the Jewish faith. These are other things that are also generally require a group of people. Sitting Shiva, the the tradition of that's the Jewish tradition after someone dies of taking seven days or more orthodox cases, sometimes a little longer, uh, where you go and visit the family, and the sole purpose of it is to take their minds off of the uh, passing of the loved one, and there's supposed to be food, and the mirrors are supposed to be covered, and and uh, there's some prayer around the course of the day, but for the most part, it's supposed to be to to make the uh, families of the loved ones feel like they're still part of the world. And here yeah. we find ourselves at a time where nobody feels part of the world, even those who haven't lost anybody, let alone if you mm-hmm. if you lose a mother or a father or a dear uh, loved one, and you can't even gather with other people to give you comfort. So it's not just the funeral ritual, it's the things that go with it, uh, you know, the wakes, the shivas, the, the traditions like that that have all taken a hit. Yeah, they really have. And on some religions are definitely um, modifying how they do it. I have been recalling the story in Judaism where life takes precedence over death. So if a wedding procession meets at a crossroads with a funeral procession, the wedding is allowed to go first Mm. because we prioritize the living. And that's generally what I'm hearing from the Jewish community because the ritual is so hands-on with the ritual washing and dressing and everything. But the danger right now is for the living, the gathering of people in close proximity to do this ritual, which is beautiful, but at this point it's dangerous. And so that ritual is being waived for the mitzvah of preserving life at this point. Yeah. Well, Nora, I want to thank you for uh, spending time with us. I, I can't imagine how uh, how your industry and your world has changed so dramatically, uh, except that it has done the same for so many other people <laughs> that I guess it's just your version of it. But certainly the funeral industry and the way people are buried is, is if, if, if percentage-wise it has changed the same as, as other people's, in terms of emotion-wise, it's greater than a lot. Uh, it's already an emotion-filled moment. It's already a, 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 a thing where the only upside, the only upside tends to be the comfort of other people and the gathering of other people, and that's the thing that's being stripped away. Your process, the cremation processes, the, the uh, you know, uh, burial processes, and other, that, that needn't actually be all that disturbed, but what is any of that without people? It's meaningless, yeah. uh, and so uh, you know. And going, we've read we've read about things in Italy where, when things got so bad, they were literally you know stacking up bodies outside of morgues. We pray that we don't get to that kind of situation here, and and that the industry here is is, is equipped to handle it. Yeah, and I think we are, and. We just for the fact of how much more spread out we are, while our case numbers are terrible and looking dire, it is over a very large area. 
So hopefully the industry in those individual areas can handle this. But again, it's about making sure that we all take care of each other. We, We accommodate what is happening right now. It'll be really interesting to see the longer this draws out the new ritual and ceremonies that may spring up just mm. as a result of this time of confinement and isolation. Yeah. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. I should point out, I believe, that funeral homes are considered essential businesses, are they not? Yes, they are. So they yeah. do stay open during this time, and if people need to call or to visit you know, at a distance, they are available and they are open. And in some cases, yeah, if you, so as you pointed out, if your, you have smaller than uh, yeah. 10 people, you might still be able to come in for a viewing or something. Yeah, but definitely check with your local funeral home how they're handling things. Sometimes funeral homes really only have one or two staff anyway. Mm. And so it's extra important for those folks to stay healthy. So they might be doing more precautions to avoid contact with people. And But for the most part, funeral directors want to help. They want to accommodate families. They want to provide this essential service as it is, but people need to be a bit flexible and creative in how they do things at the moment until we can be together again. Yeah, Nora, thank you for spending time with us. It was an interesting conversation, and I wish you uh, uh, continued luck in dealing with this and strength in, in all the different changes that are coming. And thanks so much for what you're doing. Nora Menken, the Executive Director of People's Memorial Association and the Co-op Funeral Home out of Seattle, Washington. So you hear there, Lisa, you know, a, a lot of different ways that people are having to adjust. None of them are great. I mean, uh, the virtual things, mm-hmm. I've, I'm reading where some people are, are Skyping each other and, and hugging pillows, you know, because they don't have each other, you know, sending virtual hugs and blowing kisses through screens and things like that. None of this is as good as, but again, this is part of who we are as human beings. We are a resourceful, adaptive race. And we figure out if it's not the best way, then what's the next best way? And, uh, you know, the good part of this, if there is any silver lining, is that it will not go on forever. Nobody, even the most dire critics, even the sky is falling chicken little people, do not say, oh my God, we're going to be with this for the rest of our lives. We're not. In a year's time, uh, when vaccines exist and this has gone through a herd immunity or whatever, uh, things will return to more normal. Hopefully, you know, less time than that, a little more time than that. It doesn't matter. Timelines aren't really what's crucial. What's crucial is that there is light at the end of this tunnel and always will be light at the end of this tunnel. That's not going to change. We're not facing a plague that's going to wipe us all out. But for now, this is uh, making a lot of people adjust the way that they handle death and dying. Right. And it's really taught us a lot, too, I think. I think when this is all over, we will have learned a great deal about ourselves, about grief, about fear. I don't know, like I'm, you know, we talk a lot about death on this show. And we've had a lot of different topics, some which we haven't even aired yet, about ways to die and how to die. And I glorify the subject sometimes in my head thinking, I'm going to do it this way. And this is what I want. And this is who I want there. This week, I've pulled back and I literally sent my family an email saying, if I should be in this place, all I want is for somebody to be in my ear. You know, I will have a phone ready. Even if I'm totally unconscious, I just want somebody in my ear. And that right now makes me feel better knowing that they will be there. And it makes them feel better knowing that they'll have a place for closure, maybe. But remember, remember that we live in a world 
where quick and, and unexpected death is a part of our world. Yes. People get right. shot. People get, uh, you know, have a, have a tragic accident. People have car, yeah, car crashes. Accidents. And they're gone in an instant. And, you know, Wednesday, everything was okay. And Thursday, they're gone. And that's where we are here with some of these cases as well. So it's not something that we have never faced before, the idea of someone mm-hmm. being gone quickly. What has changed in this part of it is that we can't gather to say goodbye to them. To say goodbye, right. Right. And we're going to have to find new ways to juggle, uh, massage, ultimately put in its place our grief. Uh, because the, the quickest way is to have, oh, my, you know, you open the door and there's your loved ones and they hug you and you hug them and you cry on their shoulder and you, and you stay crying on their shoulder for days to come and they comfort you and they bring you food and, they, and, and, they, and, and you share memories and you have bittersweet laughs uh, 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 and cries at the same time and you show videos and you look at pictures and you stand next to one another and say, look, remember when we did this? And all of that stuff, as far as in person, is is largely been taken away from us. But we do have these amazing devices, these computers. We do have telephones. We do have ways of speaking to one another, none of which really existed in any kind of mass form. The last time we had one of these types of things was in 1918. And there weren't a whole lot of telephones, and there certainly weren't any computers or instant photos. So right. we have to find a way to sort of be resilient and uh, and be comforting. But I think... To, to close it out, I think what we want to take out of this today is don't take anything for granted. This is a message that Maury said all the time, and we'll leave you with that soundbite of him talking about the little bird on the shoulder, because this is a good uh, reminder. Yeah, it can be coronavirus, or it can be a car crash, or it can be a, you know, a, 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 a miscalculation or a terrible crime or something, but at any moment— we could be looking at our last day. And if that is the case, what do you want to make sure you have done? And in this case, with a loved one, what do you want to make sure you have done? Here's Maury saying that lesson. Did I tell you what that yogi said? Some wise Buddhist person said, everybody knows they're going to die. Nobody believes it. Because if you believed it, really believed it, you might not do anything. Right. You know, I mean, I said, what the hell, I'm going to die, right. so why should I bother? Right. But the Buddhists, on the other hand, say, every day have a little bird on your shoulder that says, is today the day? So do you prepare at any moment to go? Mm. Not that you want to go, but you're prepared. And it's not an easy thing to do. That's what I'm doing for them, I think, helping them get prepared. So we don't want today to be the day. We don't want today to be the day for us. We don't want today to be the day for any of our loved ones. But we live in a world where we have to face that, particularly with our elderly loved ones, this could happen. So make sure you contact the people you love. Make sure you're in touch with them, not just for safety purposes, but for telling them how you feel and for telling them uh, how you love them 
and for sharing those memories, and those stories. Nora was right. We got a lot more time on our hands now. We, Netflix is not the answer for humanity, okay? I want to get that out there. <laughs> Netflix may be a way to put a little Band-Aid on the, the passing of time, but it is not what we're supposed to be doing with this time. Netflix was not invented for that purpose. We can do a lot better with our time than Netflix. And one of the things we can do is to talk to our loved ones and make sure they know how we feel about them. All right. With that, we uh, wish you a lot of uh, strength and courage. Uh, hang in there. This is, we will continue to be here, and uh, we will continue to go on. As I say, human beings are amazing people. Maury was an amazing one, and he was facing death every day of Tuesdays with Maury and never lost his spirit, never lost his humor, and never lost his insight. And we're going to try to make sure we all do the same. So on behalf of Lisa Goich, until we see you again, this is Mitch Album wishing you strength, stay sanitized, stay safe, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People.